I think that's working now. Okay, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 22, verses 1 through 14. Uh, I always like to go back and how do we get to where we're at? Why is Jesus telling this parable that we're going to look at today? Um, back up just a little bit. Uh, he has been working towards Jerusalem. Lots of crowds started following him because of the miracles that he was doing. They went to Mary's. She anointed his feet. Lazarus was there. And <laughs> here the Pharisees, you're starting to see they're upset with him. They, they're mad that he is stilling their thunder. And so they, they even start talking about, let's kill him and Lazarus. You know, what a joke. Uh, and, and Jesus goes on and has the triumphal entry. People are praising him saying, Hosanna to the son of David, praise to him that comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, the Pharisees, the priests, they understand what's being said, that this is, they're proclaiming that he is the Messiah. And they say, do you not hear what they're saying? And he says, if they don't say this, even the rocks will cry out. He goes on into the temple, cleans out the temple, proves that he's God just by the way that he does things. And so, by this point, the religious class is ready to assert their authority. So they come to him and they ask him, by what authority are you doing this? They think that he is going to be put in his place. Uh, he's going to be stumped because if he says, I'm doing this by God's authority, show us a sign. He'd already proven or showed that he was not going to show them a sign. So if he shows them a sign, he is a liar and he's not of God. If, on the other hand, he keeps silent and lets someone else speak up for him, they've already determined that they're going to cast people out of the synagogue, so nobody's going to speak up for him, so he's just going to be silent, and they will take that opportunity to condemn him. Uh, Jesus kind of turns the tables on him and, and starts telling parables. Before he starts telling parables, he says, I'll answer your question if you'll do one thing. What was it? Answer this question, the baptism of John, was it of God or of men? And you remember, they didn't want to answer that because if we say it's of God, then why didn't you follow him? Obvious answer. If they say it's of men, what happens? Well, they feared the people because the people said that John the Baptist was a prophet. So you've got this, he puts them into a conundrum as they think they're going to put him into a box and box him in. Uh, just keep this in mind. Jesus is never put into a box. Whenever we think he's in a box, he's not. Uh, and if you're his child, uh, if we learn to think of think things through the way that he did, if we learn to use his word, uh, when people think they've got us in a box, they really don't. Um, I've just been amazed this last uh, few weeks uh, you might even say, uh, some of you might have seen this, some probably not, but uh, sometimes I follow uh, a certain podcaster. I don't like to listen to him a whole lot because he's got a foul mouth. But he had somebody on this last week that uh, I thought was interesting. Uh, he had, well, three people on in the last two weeks. He had a, a creation scientist on, and he was asking, is this credible? He had on Hulk Hogan. Does anybody remember Hulk Hogan? I mean, just, and, and do you know what Hulk Hogan was wearing? A John 3.16 shirt. And he quotes John 3.16. I mean, 
I never thought that this guy would quote John 3.16 on the most popular uh, podcast in America. And then he has on this fella that quotes, not just quotes, he reads uh, parts of Psalms and parts of Proverbs. The very things that we're studying on Wednesday nights, he starts reading and he says, Job, doesn't, isn't that profound? Isn't that something that if we would just do this, this will change our lives? And it's neat to see how people are starting to realize and wake up, oh, this is the right way. Uh, just even this last couple of weeks as I'm passing out tracks, and, and most of the time I try to just put them in the mailboxes and go on. But this last week, there have been a couple of times where people are just right there at their mailbox. I'm like, what do you do? Have you ever gotten one of these? And, you know, no, I haven't. They'll take it. Most of the time here in Germany, what happens? They look at it. It's Christian. I don't want it. But the last few weeks, it's not been that way. It's, oh, it's Christian. Wait a minute. And they will open it up and start reading right there. I've never had that happen here in Germany. Uh, I think we are in a unique time right now. And, and we need to recognize that. But... As we look at what Jesus has done here, keep this in mind that he is not in a box and he is starting to bring things to a head and point things out to individuals. And I know there's something in here for each and every one of us here because there was something in here for uh, the Old Testament crowd, if you will, and there's something in here for the New Testament crowd. There's something in there for the religious people and there's something in here for the sinners. There was something in here for people who down and out and people who were serving. It, it just, everybody finds something in this passage of scripture if you'll stop and think about it. So uh, Matthew chapter 22, verses one through 14, it says this, and Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parable and said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king, which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they were, uh, and they would not come. Again, he sent forth other servants, saying, "Tell them uh, which are bidden. Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage." But they made light of it and went their way, one from uh, one to his farm, another to his merchant uh, merchandises. Did I read that right? merchandise, and, and the remainder took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then said he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which are were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore unto the highways, and to and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out unto the highway and gathered together at all as many as they found, both bad and good. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came. In to see the guests, he saw there a man which had, ha, uh, which had not on a wedding garment. And he said unto him, Friend, how camest thou in uh, hither, not having a wedding garment? 
and he was speechless. Then said the king unto the servant, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are, are called, but few are chosen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Uh, thank you for these stories that we find in the word of God. We know that uh, so much of the time a story will have so much better impact on our, on our hearts uh, than just hearing uh, instruction. And I pray that you will help us today as we uh, look at this story that you gave and look at this parable that you gave. Uh, help us to understand what part of it we need to apply to our lives and then to do something with it. Help us uh, not to just be hearers of your word, but to be doers of it. Uh, we love you and praise you. We want you to receive all the honor and glory from this today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we've already looked at this and already studied or talked about how we got to this point, and we see uh, Christ is giving another parable here. Um, there are a few different ways to look at this parable. Um, throughout the week and most of the commentaries that I read, they were talking about the different individuals that you find in, the, in this parable. Uh, you've got the king, you've got his son, you've got the servants, you've got the guests, uh, and they're trying to define who all are the different ones. Uh, it's fairly simple to see the king is God the Father, uh, the son is Jesus Christ. Um, but then that even breaks down at certain points because then you have Jesus being king of kings and lord of lords. So, you know, you can always find some reason why that doesn't always hold true. So let's just try to keep it general. But uh, you've got these uh, different guests and or the different characters. But uh, I think a better way to maybe look at this is uh, maybe to look at it as a play. Uh, and oftentimes in a wedding setting back in the, the time of Christ, they would put on plays. And, and the people would have understood that this, this kind of play setting, um, because they would have seen it throughout Scripture. I mean, Song of Solomon, uh, I have heard that one described as a play that was supposed to be done at a wedding. And to, for one, give instruction to married couples in the wedding, uh, but it was also to help everybody else to understand what is going on here. And, and then for even the children to see this is what is coming and not just in your marriage, but also uh, with King Jesus, our Messiah, he is coming. And, and so there are so many different levels. And if you start to look at them from each one, uh, it gets a little bit complicated as you start trying to describe it. But I think that's why God commands us to walk in the Spirit so that we can take the part of the story that is applicable to us in the situation that we're in and apply it to our lives. And I think that's one of the things that is very hard to do, especially as a pastor standing up here and trying to talk it all through and give you all the different parts. It can get confusing. But as we look at this parable, um, you see the different actors, you see the servants, you see the king, you see his son. That's one group. Then you've got the first group that were bidden to come. And, and I find this one interesting because you have part of the group that says, we can't come and they made light of it. Uh, who makes light of a wedding invitation? I mean, my son is getting ready to get married. Um, 
would you come to the wedding? Uh, if Robert stands up or Evan stands up and says, come to your son's wedding, really? Not doing that. And, and yeah, they make light of it. It's like, this is the biggest decision that my son is going to make in his life. One of the biggest, maybe not the biggest, the biggest decision is to trust Christ. But the second biggest, I mean, it'll affect everything in his life. Uh, so you ought to come and help celebrate and help encourage and help. Let's get this started right. You know, that's kind of the thought here. Uh, but they make light of it, really? Making light of one of the most important decisions that a person will make? Uh, that says something about this whole, this whole uh, parable that he's giving. Some people are making light about the most important decisions that they will ever make. Uh, it, it seems silly that you would do that. Uh, but sometimes making light of something is to show you have disdain for it. Other times making light of something is to help bring out how important something really is. You can say something in a joke and everybody laugh about it, but it causes everybody to stop think and start thinking about it. But here they're making light of it. It's a serious thing and they're making light of it then you have the after crowd. Who were the, well, I, I'm sorry, I went past that one too, too quickly. The first crowd, you have farmers, you have merchantmen, and then you have those standerbys that are just causing trouble. Uh, you're always going to have those, but think about this. Um, what excuse could the farmer give? There's always an excuse on the farm for not going somewhere, not doing something. Uh, the cows got out. Uh, there's a fire. There's something going on. I've got to take care of the animals. I mean, if you don't take care of cattle that get out of the pen, what's going to happen? Well, they're in Missouri. They're going to go down the road and get in front of a car and somebody's going to hit them and you're going to be in trouble because you let your cows get out and you knew it, but you went on to church. I've heard of that happening. Uh, if there's a fire on the farm, you better take care of it pretty quickly. Uh, if you don't, what's going to happen? It'll spread into the neighbors. It'll turn into Canada, per se, you know, if you don't take care of it. Or, or Hawaii. I'm not trying to make light, but if you don't take care of the fire quickly and completely, it could get out of hand. Um, we had a situation one time, I remember, a barn caught on fire. And they cleaned it out and brought the fire department out. And we watched it for hours because dad said, you never know when it's going to pop back up and we'll lose that barn. And not just that barn, but grandma and grandpa's house and then the neighbors and then, and it will spread. And we were always mindful of those kind of things. And, and so the, the farmer, you can kind of, okay, that, that makes sense. But the merchant person, I mean, what is he thinking about? He's not thinking about his animals, is he? His merchandise, he can just close it up, lock it up, and, and be on his way. But no, he's got to make another sale. He's got he's to earn a little bit more money. He's got to make a trip to whatever. And, and so they might have had excuses, but there was something more important. Have you ever noticed that in our lives, that you have to determine what is, this is, important, but this is more important. So what do you do? You do the more important first. 
but oftentimes you do what is most pressing in the moment. You don't do what's most important, you do what is most pressing in the moment. Has anybody ever noticed that? Uh, we have something important to do, but we have to put that on hold because we've got something that just came up and it's pressing in the moment what's expedient sometimes. So think about the first act though. This first act, the king sends out his servants. He has made everything ready. He has got his, his wedding feast prepared. Now, normally a wedding feast back then would take about seven days. Um, it would take a good long time. They would have a party. They would have plenty to eat, plenty to drink. Um, everything was ready. And oftentimes, especially for a king, if you came to it, you were issued, this is what you're supposed to wear because you have a part in the play that's going to be taking place. We want you to wear the right things and you're set in the right place so that it will, it will all look right when everything is going on because the king would orchestrate everything so that everybody got to take part in the wedding. Uh, but here you've got people saying, no, it's not that important. It's not that important to go to your wedding. Um, let me just stop and ask this. Uh, when was, what was the last royal wedding that, that we remember? What? William. William? Was it William and Kate? No, well, I was thinking of Carrie and, yeah. I, they put on a production, didn't they? I mean, and, and the whole country was turned upside down for this wedding, which... All of us as Americans were going, that's our revenge. You know, you burned the Capitol back in 1812. <laughs> There's our revenge right there. <laughs> but we're looking at it thinking, oh my word, what's going to happen there? And, and we're seeing what, what's happened because of it. But think if you were one of the main guests that you had an invitation back at the time from William and Kate. You had an invitation, not just from William and Kate, but you had an invitation from the queen herself. And Robert, we've got a job for you at this wedding. I want you to show up. We're gonna fit you. We're gonna put the right clothes on you. You're gonna be in, the, in you're gonna have a part here. And you say, no, I'm playing Game Boy today. I don't think I wanna do that. I, I've got my Nintendo Switch. I'm not going to go to your wedding. Would you say that to the queen? Would you say that? No, that's silly. But so much of the, that's exactly what it looks like is going on here. No, we don't want to go to your silly wedding. What's the big deal of that anyways? His bride is not that pretty at all. Yeah, he's made a poor choice there. We're just not going to come and and join in. Don't you think that would make the king, the queen? I mean, do you think you'd ever get invited to anything else again at the palace? Probably not. Do you think, especially back then, when uh, kings, if you offended a king, what happened? Oftentimes, there's war now because of what's going on. There's going to be a war. Uh, how, many, how many wars in history were started because one king offended another king, or the son of a king offended the king. I mean, think about it. Um, David, he sent uh, some grievers, some people to grieve 
with a king. His dad had just died. He sends this group, and the new king, this young kid, thought, oh, he's coming to spy. And what did they do to David's servants? They treated them poorly. They cut their beard off in half, so half their face was clean-shaven and half had a beard. And he did a few other things. Um, and they got sent back, and they were ashamed going back, and David was furious. He put the whole country together. He goes after him. He wipes him out. He takes the crown off the kid's head and, and puts it on his own head and then kills two-thirds of the people, and the other third, he puts them into slavery. <laughs> it's just he wiped them out because he was offended. Uh, what do you think the king here should do? Well, he came. He destroyed the city. He burned the city, and everybody says, well, that's just. You were rude to the king. Nothing wrong with that. Now, in our day and age, what would people say now? You destroyed a whole city just because you were offended? Well, think about it. If the king was supplying everything for the city, he was making sure that the city was taken care of. He had built the city, uh, and here you've got people that are not honoring him, not honoring his son, not honoring what's going on. To destroy the city, it's not a big deal. I mean, that's the king's prerogative. Then you get into the second act where now he sends his servants out again. Go call people into the wedding. You bring them in. I don't care if they're good. I don't care if they're bad. Anybody that you find, you tell them to come to the wedding. They're invited in. And so you've got this multitude of guests that are coming in. They are receiving their garments as they come in because they have an act to play. They have a part to play in the wedding. There's something special for them to do. And then you get one person that comes in and thinks, what I'm wearing is good enough for me. I don't need to change into what the king gave me. Do you think that's a little bit arrogant too? I mean, do you think, I mean, what's ruder? To come, to say I'm not going to a wedding at all because, you know, I just don't agree with what's going on here. Or to come, but to say, I am better than everything else going on here, so I'm just going to wear what I have on. What's more arrogant here? Um, one of the commentators that I read this week said, it's almost more arrogant the second person that comes in. And, and what the king does, bind him up, cast him out. Everybody out there is crying because they didn't make it into the wedding. And it's a good example of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, as we continue on with this just a little bit and start to try to make application because when Christ gave a story, he gave it so that we could try to apply some things from it. And so I'm going to try to pull out some things that, you know, they're obvious to everyone, but sometimes I think we overlook it. But some of the application, uh, one of the applications is, as Christ is telling this story and Christ is giving this, um, it's almost, it's, it's almost painfully obvious well, as we're looking back on it now, we can see the first act is Jerusalem. Jerusalem did not come to the wedding feast. They killed the son. And here Jesus is saying, in a few years, this is what's going to happen to you. In a few years, your city is going to be destroyed. And, and so just that very fact right there should 
put us on watch that Christ is special here. I mean, yes, there were a lot of prophets, but he was special. And, and even back in Deuteronomy, um, Moses says, there's going to come a prophet like unto me. You better hear him. Uh, what had Christ done that was like what Moses had done? Well, he had fed the 5,000. He had fed the 4,000. He had fed other multitudes and had plenty of food left over. Just like Moses, did, did Moses feed the people in, in the wilderness with manna? No, that was from God. And who did Christ make it very plain that was feeding the people there? He prayed and God blessed. Am I saying that God didn't do it? Christ is God. So, but just like Moses, the people were fed because Christ delivered it for them. What else happened? Well, Moses split the sea through God's uh, power. Christ calmed the sea. You have Moses healing people. When they come to the bitter water, he healed the bitter water. Uh, when they come to the place where the, the serpents are, uh, he put the, the serpent on the staff. And, and even Jesus uses this, I think it's in John chapter 3. He says, as, as the serpent is lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. I might be wrong on the chapter of where that's at, but do you see all the parallels right there? And to totally uh, abandon Christ and totally say, he's not a prophet. He's not who they said he, he's not who he claimed to be. Uh, I was talking with Gaston this last week, and we were just going over this just a little bit. He's either who he said he was, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. Okay, he said, you know, I'm the son of man. I'm the son of God. I'm the Messiah. I am the one that's coming. I'm the one that was prophesied. He, he made it very plain, and they did not listen to him when he, he made it plain. And, and so for him to make it plain and not be the, the Messiah, but to claim that he's either got to be a, a liar, which that's the worst type of liar. I mean, to try to deceive so many people, what a liar. Or he's a lunatic. To believe that you're the Messiah and you're not, you're a lunatic. So it's either one of the three. He can't be a good person. He can't be a good prophet and not be who he said he was. Um, if you talk to any Muslim on the street and you start to tell them about Jesus and that he is more than a prophet, uh, they will probably come back with a response. Uh, where did Jesus say, I am God, worship me? Now, he never said that in the word of God. He never said that. But he did say, uh, come unto me, all ye that thirst, and out of you, if you come to me, out of you will flow rivers of living water. And, and when he said that, he was standing up to the whole congregation, basically saying, here I am, I'm God. And they rejected him at that point. Everybody went their own way. So they knew who he was, and they were rejecting who he was. We have people doing the same thing in our day and age. We have Muslims doing that, but we also have Christians who, you might say, we do the same thing. We know he's Lord of Lords. We know he is King of Kings. We know he can supply all the needs that we have in our, in, in our life. And we still, I'm going to do it on my own. 
I'll, I'll muscle through this on my own. I mean, just as simple as yesterday. Uh, I'm trying to put a sink, put in a faucet into the sink. Uh, our old one, we'd had it for yeah, 15 years, probably, maybe even longer. I hate sinks. I hate doing plumbing. It just drives me insane because there's always, once you have a drip there, you can't tell if, is that from the drip? Did I get it fixed or is there another one? I can't tell. And, and so you just hope and pray. And so I'm working on this thing and forgetting to pray. And, and finally, you know, I've got, <laughs> I put it all together and I think it's going to work. And I turn the water just barely and water starts squirting out. I'm like, oh my God, please help me here. Turn off the water. Well, the, you know, the cheapo, or the cheapo, what do you call them? Valves um, that sometimes landlords will put in. This one is old and it's cheap. It doesn't shut everything off at once. So it's still got drip, 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 drip. Oh, I've got to get to the store quickly, grab a new piece that I need and get it on there before my cup that's under there overflows. My cup runneth over. Boy, that's not the one that I wanted yesterday. So I'm trying to hustle, trying to get back. God, please help this one to work. I put it all together. It all worked. That's the first time that I put it together the first time. I didn't have to undo it and put it back together. It worked. Yeah. God can make sure that it works the first time every time. But do we trust him with it? Do we trust that if he lets it not work, that he's got a reason behind it? And so we calm down. Okay, God, this is fun. We'll just take a shower here. We were at camp this last you know, summer, and, and I'm working doing dishes. And I pull the, the sprayer out and get ready to start squirting something. And all of a sudden, right in my face, hot water, steam, a pipe of burst right in my face. And I'm like, what is going on here? And, and in that moment, you have the frustration of trying to deal with the problem, or you can stop and calm down. God gave it to us for a reason. Let's deal with it. Let, let's see what we can learn from this. Because if I blow up in front of all the kids, Robert, do you think that's a good sign? No, it's not. <laughs> so... I've got this kid working right next to me who has had problems through the whole week. And I, what do I do with the problem? Did God give me that problem? Did God know that was going to happen? Well, yes, he did. Did God allow it right when he allowed it? Yes, he did. So why should I worry? Why should I fret? I think so much of the time we forget that God has orchestrated everything and Christ has do we not believe that he is sovereign over everything? If I go out and I have a flat tire, he could have stopped it. I can get upset about it, or I can praise him for it. And, and we've got to learn to look at things from a godly perspective. And so much of the time, we're not. Uh, it, it's hard. I don't do this as often as I should. But we've got to learn to look at things from a godly perspective. They did not see Christ from a godly perspective. They were just looking at the temple service. They were looking at their worship from a, I don't want this to get messed up because this is my way of life. And, and that's what it was. Uh, 
Do we do the same thing in churches? This is my way of life. This is how I'm comfortable. I don't want it to get messed up. And, and so we don't allow God to do anything different in our lives. I know the Bible tells us that all things be done decently and in order, but sometimes I think we take that too far. And when God is trying to work in our hearts and brings a bird into the, the meeting place, we get upset about it or we can. So the next thing that I notice about this, we should be warned of making excuses for not hearing the invitation. Uh, now you have these, this group of people that were making excuses for not listening to the invitation from the king. And we can all look at that and say, that was wrong. Uh, to have the king of kings invite you to the wedding feast and you not pay attention to it because you've got to go home and take care of your dog. Okay, let's just pick on somebody in the in the You've got to go home and take care of your cat. Uh, so you don't go to the, the, something's wrong there. Something's not right here. You've got to, you're not going to go to the wedding feast because you've got to go sell something. And that's not right. What's the priority here? I mean, who gave you your dog? Who gave you your cat? Who gave you your goats? Who gave you your cattle? Um, who makes your business possible? Is it not God? Is, is it not the king who's ruling over the land that makes it all possible? And so to, to look at this and say, there's an invitation here and we're neglecting it, we've got to be careful. They should have been more careful because they knew this is the city of peace. This is the city of God. This is, you know, Christ had already said, I must be about my father's business. My father's house will be a house of prayer, and you've made it a den of thieves. But here in our day and age, we don't have a temple we go to. But are we not the temple of the Holy Ghost? And hasn't he invited us every day of the week to come unto him? Uh, in fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Now, I know there are different interpretations of this, and some people will say, this isn't for us. This is for another group of people. I think this is for the church age. I think this is for everyone in the church. He is inviting us to come and get to know him and to sit down and have a feast with him and to learn from him. And so much of the time we're saying, you know, I've got something else. I'm doing something else. As, as a preacher, um, and I know we're a small group here, so we're family, but you would not believe some of the excuses I have heard as, as pastor of, well, I would come to church, but I would come to church, but, you know, I, the one that I hear the most often, yeah, I would come and listen to you preach, but it's 5,000 miles away. Mom doesn't come and listen to me preach. Probably a good thing. But, um, you know, some people say it's too far. Or, you know, it's too early in the morning. And then I just look at, you know, a couple that drives an hour just to come to church. You know, what a testimony there. You know, it, it, what a testimony. It's important. Uh, doesn't he invite us every day, though, to come into his presence and read his word? and pay attention to him. Do we spend some time with him every day? 
I mean, what a privilege. The King of Kings has invited us to get to know him. He wants us in his wedding feast. He wants us to get to know him, to learn of him. And no, I'm playing my game here. I, this Sudoku thing is more important than, I love Sudoku. You know, Sudoku's fun. But, you know, it's, is it more important than, as soon as you get one done, do you, is it going to save the world? Is it going to change my life? It's, it's just a time waster. And, and we've got to learn to put in priority. What is a priority? Without exception, obeying his call will involve self-emptying and result in others being blessed through Christ's, um, through Christ's exaltation. Um, this is something that I came across just this morning. In everything that he is calling us to do, as we're following him, it will require you to deny yourself. It will require you to lift him up. It will require you to put others' attention first instead of your own. That's just what following Christ is like. I mean, even Christ, he says, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. What did he mean there? He was going to empty himself out on the cross. He was going to give himself a ransom for everyone, a ransom for the sins of the whole world. And I firmly believe he paid for every sin on the cross. He didn't come short at all. Every sin that has ever been committed was paid for on the cross. It's just a matter, is it going to be applied to the person's account? He is all powerful. If his sacrifice didn't cover every sin, I think he's a liar. I, I, I think we're selling him short. He did it all on the cross. And he did it for us. There's not a single person that can stand up and say, you didn't pay for my sins. You couldn't have taken care of me. Therefore, I'm justified. And we see this later on down through here. Everybody had the opportunity. There were clothes there at the wedding for everyone. Not everyone put them on. Not everyone applied them. So we see this, this idea of trusting him and applying what he has done in to our lives, not just believing a little bit and going on, but applying it to our lives. And, and it's going to involve sacrifice. When you get married, you sacrifice for your spouse. Husbands sacrifice for wives, wives sacrifice for husbands. It's, it's not 50-50 either. I mean, if you go into a marriage thinking this is a 50-50 deal, you're doomed. You really are. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You give a hundred percent and she gives a hundred percent and you hope that it, that God makes up the difference because your hundred percent isn't going to be enough. Really, it's not. And her hundred percent is not going to be enough. Only through Christ will it be enough. And so we see that. We see with kids. I mean, do kids give 50-50? You know, Evan, you, you give 50% and Robert gives 50% and that makes the family work. Is that the way it works? Not at all. I mean, what has Robert really brought to the family? What has he brought, what has Cameron really brought to our lives? Has he, I mean, 
He brought a messy room. He brought a, a, lots of problems. And, but, you know, it was worth the joy to watch as he grows. And now to watch as he is starting his own family. And we're getting to watch, ah, he's going to. He's got to walk the dog now. He's got to take care of the messes now. He's got to build. If there's a problem, he gets to take care of it or call house management or house maintenance. <laughs> I hope you never have to work on a sink there, Cameron. But if you do, it's a pill. Don't, don't call me. I don't want to do it. So don't ask me. But following Christ is going to require self-sacrifice. And it's worth it. And it's a joy once you start learning to sacrifice. Who in here would say, I really don't want to be more like Christ? Really? Don't, don't ask me, Pastor. I don't want to be more like Christ. If you're going to be more like Christ, it's going to require self-sacrifice. You're going to have to respond to the invitations that he gives to you to sacrifice. Last thing here. You should also make sure that you have on the right clothes. And, and what do I mean that everybody puts on a suit and a tie when you come to church? I think you know me better than that. It's not about what we wear. Uh, you say, well, then why do you wear a suit when you come to church? Well, because it's a, a place of authority up here. It's a place of respect. And it's one of those things that it helps me be in the right state of mind when I'm trying to deal with the Word of God. More for him making sure that I'm right with him than it is for you guys. So if you don't like my suit, I really don't care. Uh, it, it's for him, okay? But that being said, what does he want us to put on? Well, Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, uh, is the reference that we see here. He says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garment of salvation. He hath covered me with a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decked himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorned for, uh, ador adoreth herself uh, with jewels. Do you see what he's trying to get at? We're supposed to have on salvation. We're supposed to have on righteousness. If I come before Christ with my own righteousness, uh, we could look at another verse. I think it's in Isaiah chapter. 64 or 61, uh, it says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. It's like saying, all of our righteousnesses are as a child's dirty diaper. Okay, who in here would like a dirty diaper? Nobody wants that. You don't want to wear that when you go to the wedding. You don't want to wear that when you're standing before Christ. You want robes of righteousness. He provides that for us. Why wouldn't we put a bond? Well, you say, well, my righteousness is good enough. Isn't that what the Jews before were saying? They were trying to lift up their own righteousness and say, I'm good enough in myself. I'm doing enough. I will be good enough here. And how many times do we hear people say something to that effect? I guarantee you this week, just ask somebody, find an atheist especially, and ask them. It's so much fun to ask an atheist this question. If... Theoretically, if there is a God, and if, theoretically, if there's a heaven, do you think God would let you in? What will their response be? Well, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe there's a heaven. No, 
let's do a theoretical. If there's a God and if there's a heaven, would he let you in? Yeah, he would let me in. Why would he let you in? Well, he would take my good works and my bad works and he would weigh them out and that's the way it would work. And, and they think that their good works will outweigh their bad works. And you say, wait a minute. You're saying that you're so good that you do enough good that it balances out your bad that you've done. Uh, how bad is our bad? And, and to try to help them understand that we're all liars, we're all thieves. We've all broken God's law. Our good doesn't even compare there. It's not even in the same ballpark. We need something totally different. We need his righteousness. We need to take off our own robes of righteousness because they're filthy rags, and we need to put on his righteousness. That's the only way we're clean before him. When we, when we put on the robes of righteousness, we need to remember that. And so especially in our church, it makes it so great because we're not walking around looking to see who's got on the right clothes, who's got on the right... We're looking to see that person is not nearly as bad as I... Uh, they're not nearly as bad... As they. How do I say this? They don't appear nearly as bad as I know myself to be on the inside. Does that make sense? Their practical sin is not anywhere close to my potential sin in my own life. And because of that, God, he brings us all together, the good and the bad, and we can have fellowship together and praise him because of it. I hope that makes a little bit of sense of his parable that he gave here. And I know there's something that we can all apply to our lives through this. So I hope that's given you just a little bit. And I hope that later today, as you think about this, don't just be a hearer of the word but you'll be a doer of the word as well. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Lord, thank you so much for this story, this parable of the king and the wedding and the feast. Uh, Lord, help us to see what part we, or what parts of this we need to apply to our life today. Uh, help us to not just be hearers of the word, but be doers also. Uh, Lord, for those that are watching uh, might not know you, I pray that uh, today would be the day that they trust you as Savior, that they turn and start following you. Uh, Lord, uh, we just want to see you glorified and lifted up. We love you and praise you. We're looking forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.